research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, and of course, the co-host here is Eric Eggers. Eric, are you ready for the holidays? I I think so. And if we're not, then our children uh, will quickly let us know that we're not. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one's ever really ready for the holidays when it means your children are off of school for like a month. So this to me is a very telling um, uh, question that kind of divides what people expect from the holidays. What is your favorite Christmas movie that you think sort of epitomizes the experience of Christmas as you as you see it? That's a great question. Uh, you know, to be honest, Peter, I think I'm so focused on family and faith during the holidays <laughs> that I feel like to sort of like sub out that experience to a film with liberal Hollywood who don't reflect my values. It's just not something I participate in. You couldn't think of the answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, my favorite is actually maybe not entirely a Christmas movie. It is, though, I think. Uh, and it's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with John Candy and uh, Steve Martin. Uh, and for those of you who have not seen it, you should see it. Um, but it's about the struggles they go to to kind of get home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are experiencing that now with the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas. You've got massive problems in trying to get where you're going. And we're going to talk to you today about the fact that cronyism and corruption and the abuse of power may be part of the reason that job is harder for you, because it's not just a question of what you're doing. It's what your government is doing or failing to do to make it easier for you to get there. I like this because as conservatives, we typically like talk about the importance of personal uh, responsibility, personal responsibility, yeah, self-reliance. Yeah. But what we're telling you today is that if your holiday season's bad, it's not because <laughs> you have government. bad relationships <laughs> with your family. <laughs> it's, it's because of Joe Biden. <laughs> That's like, when, when you're at the Thanksgiving <laughs> day table and your uncle's kind of going off, just start thinking about how angry you are at the Department of Transportation. Well, because- well remember back when, uh, and this is not what we're talking about today, but remember when they rolled out Obamacare, they yeah. literally had like uh, MSNBC did a whole special about how to talk to your family and your conservative <laughs> relatives right. about Obamacare Obama, right. and Obama. It was like a whole thing. No, now when they say this, then <laughs> you're going to be the guy in the pajamas. <laughs> it was like, I need health care. <laughs> so it is. It, so there is always a, a constant intermingling between politics and family. But you're right. The holidays, they bring out a lot of stress and a lot of challenges. And I think the point is, it's not to say that your relationship with your family is the government's fault. But if you get stuck in traffic on the road or in the airplanes, or if you have a potential questionable experience on an airplane uh there is i think a role that the government's playing there that it is possibly relevant absolutely i mean one of the basic functions of government is to take care of the infrastructure that means making sure it's easier for planes to fly that they're safe but they're also efficient same things on the road and for thanksgiving mm-hmm. we know that close to five million people are going to be flying right over the weekend and we also know that by one poll 48 percent, almost half of americans are say they're driving somewhere at, at some significant distance to be with family members on thanksgiving Thanksgiving. So people are going to be in planes, 
I guess, some trains yeah. and certainly automobiles. Probably not very many trains anymore. It's a dated reference. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch is another great Thanksgiving movie, by the way, with Ed O'Neill. You can find it on HBO Max. I highly recommend it. It's another it's kind of a travel story with Ethan Embry. But yeah, so people are flying and driving, and there's going to be some challenges. And I was, you know, looking at this, we start with the, we'll start with the airline experience. Yes, uh, yes. So we knew that there would be a pilot shortage. We, that's been a known thing. Yep. And then COVID exacerbated that. There was already going to be a naturally occurring pilot shortage because of rules about when the mandatory retirement age is going to be and just the age of the, the pilot class. Um, and then COVID, because what happened, obviously everybody stopped traveling. And so it exacerbated that. The airline said, okay, well, let's just force a lot of people into early retirement. That way we'll cut costs. And so they did. They let, us, let a lot of staff go. And then once COVID sort of seemed to be in the rearview mirror, people were like, hey, we're ready to go. And so the airlines had to staff back up. They hired 54 pilots in 2021. And then 2022, because people are traveling a lot more, they set a record to hire 10,000 more pilots. Right. Like, Man, that's a lot of pilots. Right. And then this year, it's even more, the 30% more than that. They're on track to hire 13,000 pilots. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that, so that's good. And generally speaking, I think we have to give the airline industry some credit. Could, I had to look at this up. When was the last time we had a major accident in- A long time. It's been a long time, decade. Yeah, it's been 2009 since we had a major passenger crash. So anybody that's out there that's worried about air travel- Hey, it's very been safe. 14 years. Safe-ish. Right? <laughs> safe, <laughs> safe. Depends on the airline, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, because it because here's what the, the problem is, is that we have a pilot experience issue. There's mm-hmm. a couple of things happening mm-hmm. here. We have a pilot experience thing. Uh, and so if you looked at the 322 accidents from January of 2000 to 2009, now that's not to say like a full-on travesty, but right. things like a plane turning the wrong way Oops. and a different plane almost landing on it, like kind of like disasters averted type thing uh they do find to be a correlation between the lack you know, the more experienced pilots right and the, the lack of accident that way so right. uh so that there's that's one issue that we're seeing with air travel so so the mandatory retirement age is that a government requirement i mean the airlines don't set this themselves right i think this is a government requirement and and i want to say that at 65 mm-hmm. is the age for retirement and you know you kind of wonder like commander-in-chief is 81 years old Certainly a guy that's 65 should be able to fly a plane. I mean, it seems to me that that's one of those regulations when people didn't live as long. You know, the average person died at, you know, age 72. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. OK, we probably ought to have them retired 65. But people are living longer. People are healthier. People are more clear. And I wonder if that wouldn't help solve some of these problems um, because they're dealing with these archaic rules from decades ago. That's actually a great point, because I want to say, I don't know, man, would you want to be stuck in a plane being piloted by uh, somebody's grandparent you know <laughs> but then if you think about it the older drivers tend to be more responsible dude you i might leave my- your blinker on yeah, for yeah. half a mile but <laughs> i was gonna say are you gonna go with with the grandpa or are you gonna go with gen x i mean i'm going with grandpa you've, you've ridden with me <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lack of experience is one issue that yeah. is we haven't seen any major accidents but um but there have been some delays and some people said the lack of experience but this is actually a much more serious issue with air travel uh, lately. And and I think, again, you have to give Pete Buttigieg credit for, you know, we had an issue where a lot of flights were being canceled right. and there were some issues with the, the airlines, how kind of uh, task oriented or how held to task are they being by the administration? They seem to have cleaned that up. But this is a real thing. Um, we have a decent number of pilots who are crazy, but they won't say anything or get help because then they won't be able to fly. Right. So right. the language job away. Yeah, the language from the FAA is actually quite pretty blunt. They say it will revoke a pilot's medical certificate 
if it becomes aware of a significant mental health issues. Yeah. And so if you're found lying to the FAA, you face five years in prison and a quarter million dollar fine. And so what, what, what it leads to is, is these pilots, if let's say you have a lot of strain, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, uh, and you might need to seek counseling. Well, there's a real fear that if you then say, Hey, I'm, seeking mental health treatment, then right. the FAA will revoke your license. Yeah. And no. it's led to some pretty interesting incidents, which I had no idea had happened yeah. uh, on airlines. Yeah. Alaska Airlines had a problem like this that people probably read about just recently. Uh, and this is a pilot who was actually not flying the plane, but he was sitting in, I guess, the jump seat behind the pilot and the co-pilot uh, and decided that it might be a good idea to, um, you know, pull the fire extinguisher handles, uh, which would extinguish the engines and lead to the plane to crash. Now, apparently there was a struggle uh the crew i mean can you just imagine you're sitting in the back of this plane mad because the the movie's not working right or they don't have the movie you want to watch and there's guys like grappling in the in the uh you know pilots uh, cockpit uh trying to determine the future of this plane so those sorts of things happen and of course last year um a guy named jonathan j dunn was indicted for interfering with the crew in a commercial flight um he was the first officer allegedly interfered in the performance of a crew member by using a firearm to assault and intimidate the captain. Um, so these things do happen. Um, By the way, the guy from the Alaska Airlines flight hadn't slept in 40 hours, had oh. recently taken magic mushrooms. Yeah, it's no good. Uh, had been depressed for months and not years. This guy was actively employed as a pilot. Yeah. And so, you know, but these are so, so some of the things. But again, not a big deal, not as big of a deal. Uh, maybe a bigger deal is, or maybe like if, you have some issues on these commercial flights. It's understandable why the person that's in charge of the airlines for the government, Pete Buttigieg, tries not to use them too often. Yeah. Yeah. And this this to me should be a requirement. Right. I mean, I generally think if you're going to have somebody serve as the secretary of defense, it's probably a good idea if that person has actually served in the military. It's not a requirement. I think if you're transportation secretary, you should be required to use the basic transportation that everybody else does. Yeah. In other words, you should drive on the same roads, meaning no motorcades, no blocking the road, no special access like that. And you also should not be jumping on the private jet. Uh, rather than flying commercial. But of course, that's not what Mayor Pete is doing. He he has taken some commercial flights. Yeah, with lots of cameras around. <laughs> he has also taken a few non-commercial flights. Yeah. When, and this is a, his quotes on this are pretty money. He's like, well, they usually, quote unquote, save the taxpayers dollars <laughs> <laughs> when he takes a private plane. Which is ridiculous. How How is it possible that you're actually saving money taking a private jet? Yeah, it's weird, right? He's taken at least 18 flights using taxpayer-funded private jets since early 2020. 21. Now, he's not the only person to do that. There's been some Trump of- officials that had yeah. done this as well. Elaine, Elaine Chow, Chow yeah. was when we actually had a dude, uh, former HHS Secretary Tom Price, had to resign when it was revealed that he'd been taking private jets to the tune of more than a million dollars. But but Mayor Pete has, I mean, he's got a couple issues here. Number one is it's the expense of the flights. It's the other. Another thing is, though, is like he's not actually disclosing how much they cost. Right. When he uses them, and there's some suspicion that when he uses these government-funded t- private jets, they're not always in furtherance of the mission of the department. Well, to wit, in September of 2022, Buttigieg used a government jet for a round-trip journey to Montreal, Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe, maybe they- uh, can can. Is it like Franco-Canadian relations? Yeah, they, they were, they're probably discussing transportation policy. No, it Trabian. was actually uh, to attend a ceremony hosted by a large Canadian gay rights organization where he received an award for his, quote, contributions to the advancements of LGBTQ rights. This was a government plane. Taxpayers paid for him to fly on the plane. And the larger issue for me here is 
that Mayor Buttigieg generally says, oh, yeah, the travel infrastructure is good. There, there are really no problems. There are very few delays. Well, how would he know? Well, how would he know? In his defense at that Canadian event yeah. that for the, to promote his contribution to the LGBTQ, yeah. the T in that event actually stood for transportation. So it was totally <laughs> legitimate. <laughs> Yeah, and the L stood stands for Learjet. <laughs> so um, this is, I think, a, a big problem when it comes to flying, and that is the disconnect between bureaucrats and and the people that are supposed to be running the policy and the experiences that the rest of us are having. I mean, I think we've all had the experience that airline flying is a lot less pleasant than it was five or ten years ago. Twenty, you know, you see you those old- say that because your bias is to be someone that drives, and that's why I think you were so excited to talk about the driving are, part. Are, do you of really want you really want to suggest that airline travel right now is actually better than it was like fifteen years ago? Like the food is better. All I'm saying is pe- people need to know that Peter Schweitzer does not matter where he is. Oh, he I'm will, guilty as charged. He would much, he will drive from New York rather than take a plane. Uh, not quite. My 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 basic limit is like a twelve hour drive. Mm-hmm. Clear the mind. It's, That's it's the talking of a crazy person. It's like a zen-like experience. No, because honestly, I've gone from Washington, D.C. to uh, the home in Florida. It's about a 12-hour drive. The flight is an hour and 45 minutes to Atlanta and then another you know, 45 minutes. I've actually made it quicker driving than when you count in delays. But look at the experience when you're on the plane. It's crowded. Uh, the service is not good. Um, uh, the seats are certainly smaller. I mean, I know I've put on a few pounds over the last 20 years, but still everything, the experience is worse. And yet what we get from Washington, D.C. is no, everything's great. Mm-hmm. What are you complaining about? That's particularly true, not just on the airlines, but on the roadways. This is where most people will be traveling on Thanksgiving. Uh, and here it's terrible when you look at the quality of the infrastructure and we just passed a new big bill you're welcome with joe biden <laughs> who's going to fix the problem except what so what's this, the problem with the bill well this is why i think it matters right and i think you make a great point about this is that it was the point of the infrastructure bill to actually improve infrastructure or and if it was then it seems like you'd have certain safeguards in place you'd have to your point uh people who's you know maybe a former traffic engineer or somebody who has experience with right. roadway management uh, instead to help oversee the uh, the infrastructure bill they have the former New Orleans mayor because you know when I think about elite infrastructure you know what I think yeah. and clean government New, you think Orleans, New Orleans that's right yeah. what, what are we doing it's like putting Penny Pritzker in charge of Ukraine <laughs> well and so it, it, in the case of Mitch Landrieu uh, he was of course mayor of New Orleans and uh, there was a scandal there no when, yeah imagine <laughs> that when he was mayor um, he decided that they were going to upgrade Bourbon Street. Right. Okay. okay. Makes sense. Major tourist attractions. Yeah, major like a tourist. worthwhile investment. So it was, it was a, a $40 million citywide public safety plan. Um, and there was going to be a $6 million renovation project for Bourbon Street. Um, so who actually got the contracts to do that? Well, number one, Hard Rock Construction. Its owners, of course, were major contributors to uh, Mitch Landry's campaign, $7,500 to his mayoral campaign, right. which is a lot because for a mayoral race, that's a small around. But you talk about Louisiana and like roads, like all the King's Men kind of stuff, right? Yeah, like Huey Long. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and even better. Uh, when it came to actually repaving Bourbon Street. Now, you imagine there's got to be all these paving companies in Louisiana, right? You mm-hmm. see them all the time when you're out on I-10 or whatever. The one that happened to do it for Mitch Landry's project in Bourbon Street uh, was actually called Landrew Concrete. Common name. Could be anybody. <laughs> it's his cousin. 
his cousin got the contract to repave the road. So imagine that's what happened in New Orleans with, you know, $40 million. We're talking the infrastructure project, a trillion dollars to spend. And when they structured this, they did not set up an independent auditing authority to actually monitor and look at how projects are being funded and who's getting the bids. So the information is coming, uh, not to use another driving metaphor, but fast and furious. So just to reset <laughs> for a second, uh, we, but we have is the guy who's in charge of essentially overseeing the infrastructure spending in this country yeah. used to be the mayor of New Orleans. And when he was, and he was in charge of an infrastructure project in his city of New Orleans, Bourbon Street, Bourbon Street, he hired a company or they used a company that was run by his relative to help do that. Right. Okay. His cousin. So that seems less than ideal. Yeah. Right. Less than ideal. Okay. And so now he's in charge of the whole infrastructure spending plan, which is a much larger economy of scale. Yeah. Trillion dollars. You're saying that we lack basic ethical kind of infrastructure to oversee that and make sure that the money gets spent in ways that actually improve infrastructure. Yeah. And this is uh, not me just saying it. Uh, The Brookings Institution, which is a a sort of liberal think tank in D.C., said that if you look at the legislation, uh, it does not have an independent authority to assess the merits of projects. Mitch Landrieu is going to be calling the shots. Uh, There's no independent accountability. And a lot of people will tell you that these kinds of projects are notorious notorious for massive handouts to not only cousins of Mitch Landrew, but major projects, um, major corporations that are donors to political figures. And all you have to do is look at the, the this called Big Dig yeah. in Boston, which is what? 10 years still go, yeah, <laughs> still going on. They're still digging <laughs> so the bad. big dig. They're still digging, uh, you know, 10 years behind schedule, a couple billion dollars. Or look at the other side of the country, California, mm-hmm. that was supposed to have that rail system. Remember, they've been talking about the rail system for 15 years. The original cost, I think, was supposed to be like 10 billion dollars. It's now over a 100 billion dollars and it's nowhere close to being done. So these are magnets for cronyism and corruption, which, by the way, that's when Rick Scott was governor of Florida. He turned down federal money that it was going to be used to build a high-speed rail system in Florida. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, it's because these things are boondoggles. These things yeah. are wildly expensive. And so I think uh, in, in hindsight, he probably was proven to be correct. Now, here's uh, the weird part about why they chose to structure the spending like this without the the thing in place to oversee uh, the accuracy and the ethical nature of the spending because they've done it before, right? The Recovery <laughs> Act, the, the, the kids, like I'm saying, yeah. other big spending projects, they say, no, no, we we get that this is a lot of money. This is right. taxpayer money. So we're going to have a coordinated independent oversight for the funding, uh, but they don't. And um, so there's actually a bill that exhorts these federal agencies to, quote, establish sufficient transparency, accountability, and reporting for oversight measures, but they actually fail to do anything like that themselves. In fact, this is, I think, the best stat. You found this. The bill is 2,000 pages. Right. How many times do you, do you think the word fraud appears in the bill? Oh, I got to think at least uh, 600 to 1,000. Right. Because you have like every other page. Like, hey, we want to make sure we you know monitor this. Yeah. Yep. It's seven times. <laughs> in other words, seven <laughs> right. out of 2,000 pages. So they're yep. not, they're worried about giving the money away. They're not so right. much worried about where it goes well and this is this is the pattern we see i mean think about the relief money the so-called relief money that came out of covid and you see all these advertisements for hey if your business you know went through covid you can get thirty two thousand dollars an employee that program is rife with fraud the problem is the government doesn't really pursue 
prosecuting those cases because the goal is eventually just to get money out there. It's, it's a stimulant. It's like throwing, you know, the, the old analogy, you know, throw cash outside of a helicopter. Mm-hmm. They don't really care who gets it. They just want the money out there because it's supposed to stimulate the economy. Which, by the way, if you're like going to somebody's crusty relative's house, you want to like earn some points. Like if you're like dating somebody and you get invited oh, yeah. to their, you know, what are you going to bring? Well, I thought I might bring a turkey, but maybe with the side of inflation, eh? <laughs> because, but to the point, it's not, it's not unconnected. The yeah. amount of money the government is just giving away with lack right. of concern for where it goes, I think you can say is absolutely a contributing factor to the fact that the economy is in a state of inflation right now. Things cost more money because there's more money being put out there with little regard of where it ends up. And this is also a contributing factor too. if you're listening to this podcast and you're heading to Thanksgiving or Christmas with your family members and you're stuck in traffic. This may very well be one of the reasons these infrastructure projects don't get done. They get over, you know, over there are overruns in terms of time, in terms of money, the quality. I mean, this is another thing that the Brookings Institute talks about. These projects are notorious for using poor quality uh, products to boost the profit margins for contractors. They had a big scandal out in the Bay Area where they were building a bridge and using subpar concrete. Not a good idea on bridges going over the bay. Uh, so if you don't have the oversight, it's not because they don't know this is a problem. I would argue it's because they do know it's a problem, but they're benefiting their cronies and their friends. And the idea that a guy like Mitch Landrew, uh, basically a career politician who was the mayor of New Orleans, as we talked about, a city rife with this kind of cronyism, was plucked and chosen to be the one individual who's going to oversee this, tells you all you need to know about where this money's actually going and why I think so many people should be rightfully frustrated about the lack of infrastructure that makes travel so difficult these days. The good news about this podcast is not only have we informed our audience about, you know, sort of some of the perils of government spending as it relates to transportation and infrastructure projects specifically, I think we've actually managed to grow the audience by finding a new constituency of people <laughs> that will like this podcast. And that's agoraphobiacs, right? People that are refused. <laughs> they now have all this sufficient validation. See, I shouldn't leave my house. Yeah. Schweitzer Neggers told me not to uh, to go. <laughs> I don't like my family anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing, not to, not to be completely uh, down in the holidays because there's so much to be thankful for, but I would say it's not the infrastructure. It's going to get worse. Because because think about this. How do we fund most infrastructure projects in the United States today? It's gas taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Gas taxes are going to upkeep of roads and bridges. What has the administration been pushing? Electric vehicles. Yeah. Do electric vehicles buy gasoline? No. So if they get their way, we're going to see a decline in the amount of money that's actually available for upgrading roads, even though Electric vehicles use the same darn roads that people with combustion engines do as well. Well, unless they go to, which is where I think a lot of cities have been trying to go to, it's a mileage tax, not a gas tax anymore, right? Yeah. And they say that's one reason why you can get, uh, it's more fair. They say it's more equitable, but what it actually does is it taxes you for how much you drive as opposed to how much fuel you use. Exactly. And I think that that is actually a dangerous and in my opinion, fundamentally un-American thing. If you remember when we did this uh, film, The Creepy Line, Jordan Peterson, who was in it, I thought it was maybe one of the smartest things I'd ever heard said by him you say smart things all the time but you know but he said you know a car is not just a vehicle it's a it's a license for individual sovereignty and freedom yes yes and so you then if you i don't think we want to get the government in the business of like tracking and charging us for every mile we drive oh it's a terrible idea i mean think think about the guy but that's but but that's that's connected to that right the push to electric vehicles 
eventually ends in that. Yeah. And it ends up really hurting independent businesses. Because if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, you're going to be driving all the time to go see different people. And it's going to give a competitive advantage to the larger competitors who can afford to, to pay that kind of stuff. So it's another example of them screwing us on this. So what's hey, the happy solution? holidays. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's the solution? What, what should we here at GAI do? What should other people do to uh, overcome this? Well, given your intense and irrational hatred for commercial air travel, <laughs> I think what we should do is offer up a sponsorship for this podcast to NetJets and we can just use <laughs> their account to go wherever it is that we need to. I'd be open for that. Uh, thank you. That's a great <laughs> NetJets, call us. <laughs> no, but I think honestly what people should be doing is letting their elected officials know they care about this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and people will always say to me, oh, politicians don't care. They do actually care. The problem is they don't think people actually pay attention to this stuff. They put out the press release. Oh, we passed a trillion dollars. There's going to be new infrastructure. There's going to be upgraded bridges. Everything's going to be great. And they just assume everybody's going to sort of drive by and not pay attention to the details. You need to let them know that this is something that you care about. It affects your family. It affects safety. Um, a lot of bridges in this country uh, are very, very old, need to be upgraded. They're not being upgraded. Why? Because we're wasting money through these kinds of you know crony acts that Mitch Landrew and his ilk are pushing on. Well, let me just say this. It's the second type of uh, spending bill that I think uh, has the same concern. We talked before with some of the green energy spending. I think it was the smart grid uh, department within the Department of Energy that they said they have to spend something like $32 million a day yeah. in order just to keep up with the amount of money they've been given. And by the way, as we talked about on a few podcasts ago, the people that got the most money, those agencies got the, the most money to give away, got the least amount of money for oversight from the Inspector General's offices. And so this is an, another example of that very troubling trend. And so what I would actually think is it's a great opportunity for aspiring investigative journalists out there because you're going to see a lot of government spending, a lot of taxpayer money that's probably going to end up in places that shouldn't because there is no oversight. And that seems intentional now by design. And you would say, well, hey, maybe you would see a lot of uh, reporting on that, except for people think the reporting on the ills of the Biden administration might then lead to the next Trump administration. People right. can't have that. Yeah. So, and But it is an opportunity for, for that type of reporting. It absolutely is. Uh, as, as the humorous PJ O'Rourke said, trusting the government with your money is like handling handing a bottle of whiskey in the Key, the keys to the car mm -hmm. to your teenager. What I like is that when you did, when you think you couldn't get a less updated reference in planes, trains, and automobiles, <laughs> here comes PJ O'Rourke. Is my age showing? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it as always that you join us on these podcasts. We know your time is valuable. We hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and holiday season. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located, and you can also find research on our work at thedrilldown.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time.